Good morning. Happy 4th of July. Um, today our nation is 245 years old. On July 4th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress unanimously adopted the Declaration of Independence, announcing the colony's separation from Great Britain. Now, sadly, many years later, that declaration was stolen. We even have a picture of uh, how that happened. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know that as a movie, that it really wasn't stolen. But I had to start off a little lighthearted since we'll be serious after that. But as I think of the 4th of July, as I think of Independence Day, there's some things that come to mind that I just really can't help but thinking of. And um, the first one is this. I think of this flag, an Iwo Jima. I can't help but think of a song I'm sure that many of you think has played way too much this time of year, but I can't help but think of Lee Greenwood singing, I'm proud to be an American. I can't help but think of pictures like this, Arlington. I can't help but think of pictures like this. A family giving a flag at a funeral because mom or dad didn't make it home. You know, this past Friday, my great uncle um, passed away last week and we, we were pretty close to him and a really close family. And we had his service and uh, several of me, my dad, my uncle were part of the service and he had military honors. He served in the Navy. And I happened just for some reason to pull up my phone, not even thinking I would use it in the sermon, uh, and was just videotaping as I was, my kids were beside me. And uh, this is what they did there. There's something about hearing taps being played uh, over the years. I've been a part of so many services and funerals just because of the church. And every time you hear that sound, it reminds me of our freedom and the price that many have paid to serve our country. I'm always reminded of pictures like this, of bodies being brought home on an airplane draped in the flags that sadly many even 
today as we speak, uh, disrespect that flag that represents our freedom. But today, as we celebrate our independence and our freedom, I pray that we realize that freedom is never free. That so many have gone before us and fought for our freedoms and gave their life for the very freedom that we have to be in this room this morning. We are blessed to live in a country where today we can gather in this place and worship our King together. We are not hiding worshiping in an underground church like many are doing in China and other countries around the world. You know, China has nearly a hundred million Christians following Christ, no matter the cost. In homes and underground churches willing to be jailed and so much more. Many studies show that 10,000 Christians are martyred annually for their faith. One in eight Christians in the world are facing persecution, and I'm not talking about being afraid of going to church because you're going to get sick. I'm talking about being arrested in fear of their very life. And there is 380,000 churches in the U.S. We have churches on every corner, Bibles in most homes that, if we're honest, are never read. And most U.S. church attendances are declining, and many are closing their doors. And sadly, when hard times come in the U.S., many fade away. Many have shallow faith. And let's not even talk persecution. If a virus comes, many are gone in today's culture. You know, I looked up some just news headlines from this past year of just information about churches and attendance. A top one I found, U.S. church memberships fall below majority for first time. The U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. In the past, we were the majority. In the past, the majority went to church, and they were believers. To now, we have become the minority. Seven out of ten Americans say they are religious, but less than half attend or even connected to a church. My point being this morning, we have freedoms as of today that most in this world do not have. Freedoms that most take for granted and freedoms that some won't realize they have until they are gone. Let me say that again. Freedoms that some will not realize they are have, that they have until they are gone. The first uh, part of your notes, I actually put this quote in there, Ronald Reagan, I'm sure many of you have heard this quote before, Ronald Reagan said this, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream, it must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Let me say that again, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed down to them to do the same. Today, I pray that we don't take for granted 
the freedoms we have. It's so easy to forget where we have came from and what it cost to get us here. And in Scripture, God knew that His people would have a tendency to forget. So He threw out Scripture, <clears throat> many of you know as you studied, that He would have them set up reminders. We sing an old hymn called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, Tune My Heart to Sing Thy Praise. We've seen it numerous times. Well, there's a verse and it says this, Here I raise my, anybody know? Ebenezer. And the term Ebenezer comes from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. It's a Hebrew word and its origin is explained to us in 1 Samuel 7, 12. If you want to turn with me this morning. It says this, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory throughout Samuel's lifetime. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. This is in your notes. The stone that Samuel erected was a constant reminder to the nation of Israel that God had protected them and led them to victory. This stone was to be a constant reminder to them that when they saw it, they would say it was God that protected them. It was God that led them to victory. Not anything on their own, but when they see it, they would be reminded. They wouldn't forget. Because God knew the Israelites would forget what he had done. They, like us, have a tendency to become so distracted. And we see this all throughout Scripture. So today I wanted us to look at a specific story where God has them set up this reminder. So to bring us up to speed this morning on the story, the ten plagues have just happened. Pharaoh has let the people go. He's done with it all. So Moses leads the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, after which they are based at Mount Sinai. And where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses dies within sight of the Promised Land on Mount Nebo. And Moses would never enter the Promised Land. So Moses, he lays hands on who? Joshua. And he blesses him. And then Moses dies. So in the start of Joshua, many of you know the famous scripture. He says this, be strong and very courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So they send spies into Jericho. And Rahab, a prostitute, protects these spies, lets them out through a window down the wall of the city. And the spies return and give a report to Joshua, and, he, and they say, surely the Lord has given the whole land into our hands. And so in Joshua 3, 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And then we kind of arrive on the scene in Joshua 3, starting in verse 14, if you want to read with me this morning. <clears throat> so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, 
The priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity, in the vicinity of Zarethan. While water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now this next part I don't want us to miss today. We're going to go down just a little bit to Joshua 4 starting in verse 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. And tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a what? A memorial, a reminder to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, when they put them down, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. You see, God had done something big, something huge for the Israelites. They had been in Egypt. They were slaves. And he had delivered them. But God knew that when their kids had kids and life happens, they would probably forget to tell them everything that happened. It wouldn't pass down about the faithfulness of God and how at this spot he had, he had parted the waters and they had literally stood on dry ground in the middle of the river that it really wasn't a fairy tale, that it really happened. Maybe even many of them that saw it would have a tendency to be distracted and the worries of life. And before they know it, it, it's really not in the front of their mind any longer. But because of these stones, every time they saw them, they would be reminded. 
So we carry on in Joshua 4, starting in verse 19. So on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea. When he dried up before us until we crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, church, we didn't see the Red Sea part. We didn't see the Jordan part. But we are reminded through the Word of God what He did in the past. And we believe this morning that the Word of God is true. And what it says in here aren't fairy tales, that it really happened. And that it says that He parted the waters. We believe that He parted the waters because we believe God's Word is true. We believe that he shut the mouths of lions, that he healed the sick, that he walked on water, that he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, that he turned water into wine, that he raised the dead to life, that through his powers he parted the waters. And church, it's important that we don't forget that this is the God that we serve. That the same God that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. That the same God that parted the Red Sea lives in us. That parted the Jordan lives in us. The same God. And it's important that we honor and we remember and we don't forget what he has done. You know, why do we take communion? Why did we have a time in the service earlier where we, we stop and we slow down? We have a scripture, we meditate, and we turn our hearts, and, and we take the juice and the bread, and we give thanks. In Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, he says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because I need to be reminded. I don't want to forget. I want it in the forefront of my mind today what Christ did for me. I don't want to forget what he has done in the past, in the present, what he is going to do in the future. And just like our nation needs to remember and not forget where we came from and what God has done, we need a reminder in our lives to do the same. And right now, we live in a culture that wants to forget and wants to erase the past. Cancel culture is all around us. As soon as you think, oh, you've, you've seen enough, you turn on the news the next day and they're canceling something else. They want to cancel the past, forget what happened, don't talk about that part of history, just, just imagine it didn't happen, take down that statue, take down that monument, Get rid of those history books, that part of history. Don't pay respect to the flag. I've heard it said, church, that if you forget your past, 
that you're destined to repeat it. I'll tell you one thing today. The world can try to cancel all they want. But you can't cancel the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can't cancel what he's done in the past. And you can't cancel what he has done in your life. Let me say that again. You can't cancel what he has done in the past and through the Holy Scriptures and through the prophets and through his church and through his people. And you can't cancel what he has done in and through your life. He says if we don't speak up, the rocks will cry out. He can't, this is in your note, he can't be forgotten. Creation is declaring his glory. The psalmist writes in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You wake up in the morning. You see the sunrise. You watch the sunset. You watch the birds fly. They are all declaring, there is a God. There is a creator. They are declaring, don't forget. Remember who created all of this. Remember who is in control. Remember that I am God. I am your creator. I'm your sustainer. I gave you breath today. I decided if the sun was going to come up, if the sun was going to go down, if there's going to be rain, if there's not going to be rain. Romans 1.20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. It's not complicated. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We are without excuse. You look at a newborn child, you see creation, you see the order of everything. They declare there is a God. Not by some random chance processes, but by a God who has created order. And you can't erase any of that. You see, the Israelites were in bondage. They were slaves for Pharaoh, and they never wanted to forget what they had been set free from, where they had come from. God had set them free. And church, this morning, if you have called on his name, he has set you free. And in Galatians 5, 1, he writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Let me read that again. If it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Church, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again. Don't go back to Egypt. 
to that slavery, don't forget. You know, I remember where I was the night that he set me free. I was raised going to Camp Calvary. Many of you have sent your kids to camp this summer. It's very powerful. There's just something about getting away for a week, not having the distractions of this world, technology, whatever, just everything, and just having a week where you're in the Word of God and you're with other believers. And I remember one night at campfire, the exact spot I was sitting in the circle around the campfire when he knocked on my door. And I had to decide that night if I was going to open it let him in and surrender my life to him. And that day changed my life. And I don't ever want to forget that. That he took my place, that he took on my sin, that he died so I don't have to. I don't ever want to forget what he has done for me, the blessings that he has given me and what he has forgave me from. And in Deuteronomy, after Moses is given the Ten Commandments, he gives a word to the people. And I believe it's a word for us today as well. And as we read it, you'll see that there are so many parallels to today. So if you want to turn with me this morning to Deuteronomy, or read on the screen, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. These are the commands... Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. I'm sure many of you know this next passage. I love these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, and this is in your notes, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, when all of life happens, when you're busy, when things are going good, be careful that you do not what? Forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
Don't forget. Don't forget everything I did for you. Don't forget about Egypt. When things get good, when your stomach's full, when you got a roof over your head, don't forget where you were and who brought you here. He goes on in verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. How true is that for us today? So many different gods of this world that people follow. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. So that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, trusting out all of your enemies before you as the Lord said. And in the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws for the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Church, I pray as we celebrate our independence, we see our deep need for dependence on Christ. I pray that these words are how we live our life. He wanted them to be reminded and not forget what God had done. To not forget about Egypt and what had happened and the faithfulness of God. Instead, he tells them, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, church. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. And might I add, at work, and at school, and at the ball game, and at the grocery store, and at the hair salon, and at the restaurant. Never forget, but always proclaim in your life what he has done in the Egypt that he has brought you out of. In every part of your life, declare his faithfulness. Talk about it wherever you're at. Tell your kids. Tell your grandkids, they are thirsty. You know, we, uh, we had a, a great week at camp two weeks ago uh, in Tennessee, and God really worked in so many kids' lives. But one thing I realized after being through that week and seeing a common denominator among so many students is how much of an effect a whole year of pretty much quarantine— <laughs> 
affected students in their relationship with Christ. From becoming, many of them not going to church for a year, not being involved in things for a year. Kids are thirsty. They're hungry. Parents, they need you to tell them in life what's most important. Grandparents, they need you in life to tell them and show them what is most important. We live in a culture that says, don't say his name. Don't bring up Jesus now. Church, proclaim his name and don't be ashamed of his name. In Luke 9, 26, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of his holy angels. If we are ashamed of him one day, when you stand before him, he will be ashamed of you. Stand for his name because you can't cancel his name. You know, I couldn't help but think of, in Scripture, there's so many people that they tried to cancel. They tried to shut up. They tried to get them to be quiet. I can't help but think of the story of Paul and Silas. And they're trying to shut them up. They're in jail. They're in prison for being followers of the way. And they're singing. Bad times, they're proclaiming who he is and what he's done. They don't care the cost. Paul, they tried to cancel him. They beat him. They stone him. He walks right back into the city to do it all over again. Because he understood one thing. He knew the one who had brought him out of Egypt. And when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You know, I think of the scene and Jesus is on a cross. He's got two thieves on each side. One acknowledges he's getting what he deserves. He's paying the price for the crimes he's committed. The other guy's pretty prideful. But Jesus looks to the one who acknowledges his need for Jesus. And in Luke 23, 43, he says this, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Two people, each side, both have choices in this last moment to call on the one who could save them. One does and one doesn't, but both in their last breath had the opportunity, and this one man with his last breath. Imagine hearing those words, today you will be with me in paradise. And just like that man, today, if you have breath in your lungs, church, it's not too late to call on his name. He stands and he knocks this morning. And will you open the door and let him in? Because today it's Independence Day and it can be not just Independence Day for our country. It can be for you today as well. Set free not from Britain, but from your sin forever. In church, freedom is never free. It always comes at a very high price. And on June 6, 1944, Allied forces launched a combined naval, air, and land assault on Nazi-occupied France. 
Around 7,000 ships took part in the invasion, including 1,213 warships and 4,127 landing craft. Some 24,000 Allied troops were also dropped behind enemy lines shortly after midnight on the day of the invasion. And 132,000 men landed on the beaches of Normandy. An estimated 6,603 Americans were killed, wounded, or missing in action on D-Day. And from D-Day until August 21st, when Paris located about 118 miles away, was liberated. 72,911 Allied service members were killed or missing. And 153,475 were wounded. They say that the first wave, there was 50% casualties. The event changed the war. It saved us from Hitler. And this morning, if you were to go to that beach and you were to walk up to the top of the hill, this is what you would see. 172 acres that contains 9,388 bodies of the soldiers who fought for our freedom. Britt Hume, a news anchor, said nothing has moved him more than seeing the rows of American grave markers in the U.S. cemetery above the beaches of Normandy. It shows the sacrifice that was made for us in this room this morning to have freedom. And church, as great as what those men did that day to fight for our freedom, I couldn't help but recognize what was on top of every one of those graves. The cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The cross that purchases our freedom and that purchased the freedom of those men that died. Not freedom from another country, but freedom from our sin. Freedom that has saved us from the pits of hell. In church, what Jesus did on a hill called Golgotha was he stormed the beaches. What Jesus did on Calvary was he stormed the beaches so that we don't have to. He went and fought on our behalf and won the battle against all odds. And when there was no hope and when we were lost in our sin and we were destined for destruction, he did it. And he set us free and he overcame the grave. And church, when he sets you free, you are free indeed. And what those men did for us on the beaches of Normandy demands a response to honor them. And what so many men and women have done in Iraq and across the world serving demands a response to not forget their sacrifice, to honor and to remember them. But church, most of all, what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary demands a response this morning, a response from our lives, that we live lives worthy of what he has done for us that we live lives that bring him honor and glory 
Do we live lives that deny ourselves and that we take up a cross every day and we follow him, that we surrender, that we live lives that proclaim what he did, that we don't forget what he did, that we're not distracted by everything in this world, that the cross of Christ is daily upon our mind, that daily we take up a cross and we follow him and his kingdoms come and his will to be done every day in our life. So today, on this 4th of July, as we celebrate our independence and freedom, may we not forget the one who has set us free from sin and death. His name is Jesus. And I don't know what your story like is like, but every one of you have in Egypt. Every one of you have an Egypt that he has brought you out of, and he has called you to proclaim until your last breath what he has done in and through your life and that you do not forget but you proclaim who he is and what he has done church do you know him is your life bringing honor to him if you don't he wants to set you free let today be your independence day so this morning freedom's reminder is not just stones that they put on the side of the river or even at the graves at the beaches of Normandy. It's the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the sunrise that bears his name and creation that declares his glory. Church, he has set us free. If you are in bondage today, he wants to set you free from whatever Egypt you are in because we believe we are no longer slaves, but we are children of God. Let's pray this morning. God, today, God, you stepped into our darkness and our mess. And when all hope was lost, you sent your son on a mission to purchase our freedom, to lay down his very life so that everyone in this room today would have the opportunity of life everlasting. So God, I pray that every heart in this room God would never forget the Egypt that you have brought them out of, what you have set us free from. And God, for those that maybe have never called upon your name, I would pray that today would be the day that God, you deliver them and you set them free. Today, we're thankful that we are no longer slaves, but God, we are your children. We thank you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Y'all stand as we have this time of invitation.